All right, so welcome everyone to this special concert series edition of Progressive Palaver. I am Joe Beauclair, and I am joined by my very good friend, Paul Zotter. And Hello, this evening, this evening, we are here to discuss the, uh, the, the Tori Amos show that I recently saw about a week and a half ago for the Native Invaders Tour, which is an interesting uh, album title, by the way. And, um, yeah, it was one of those things where, you know, as we got into this and, um, you know, it sort of motivates me at least to go to maybe some, some shows that I would have maybe passed on. Mm. Um, and so when, you know, I get all these, you know, these emails from the various production companies you know and it's like oh just announced or whatever or this week you know all the different shows so i had seen the tory was coming and i just got you know i was i was on this sort of palaver high and i said you know what i'm gonna go so got myself a ticket and um actually ordered the deluxe edition of the native invader cd as well which arrived only two days before the show which was a bit of a drag and uh, and I went, so you know, huh. for for me and and Paul, we haven't really talked a whole lot, and you know, so uh, quite frankly, I was I was very pleased when you wanted to have this discussion with me. Anyway, um, for me, I've seen Tori Amos. I believe this was my fourth show now, and with the way that that Tori's music is and Tori's been quite prolific over the years she's got a lot of albums and I have one two three four five six seven eight of them now which is not wow. all of them by any stretch of the imagination um, but I every time I've gone to see Tori with the exception of I think the first one which occurred on the tour for her second album I go, <clears throat> not necessarily in a position of being super familiar with all of the works about the artist. Um, you know, there she just has a lot that, that I'm not really familiar with. And that being said, I've always enjoyed the shows tremendously. It, it yeah. it's it's almost like it doesn't even matter what she does, it's going to be cool and I'm going to enjoy it. So well, I I know. feel like I feel like that I was with you at that show, that first show for her second album, maybe, or maybe I was at a different show, but I have a distinct memory of watching Tori Amos live, and I want to really? say it was either, it was either at the Keswick Theater, or I, th I want I want to say it was the Keswick Theater, and I may be dreaming about that. I may I may be confusing it with another artist that I saw, but I. I, I, I I could have sworn that it was that second that second album, and and it was just her at the piano for the most of the night. And if I'm correct about that, I did in fact see her. Then I want to say that it was just such a different experience because it was just her playing the piano that it probably didn't matter whether you know you knew the songs because everything felt different and new in some way, shape, or form. Well, and, and, and I'm so glad you brought that up because, you know, that was that was my experience as well. I remember, 
you know, I was at Delaware and someone put me on to Little Earthquakes when it came out, which was her first album. And I was just utterly floored. And um, and then Under the Pink came out. And, you know, that that's actually a really great follow on on record. But, you know, she records those records. And even to this day, she records the records sort of as a band. Um, yeah. You know, uh, yeah. And 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 so when I went to see her the first time and it was her and a piano, I was like, well, this is weird, but that's how she does it. And and so, yeah, maybe that's why I don't, you know, concern myself overly um, or have not in the past with being uber familiar with everything that is in the catalog, um, because it, it is it's a totally different experience anyway when you get there. And um, yeah, so so that's what she does now. With the experience that we've had here with the palaver, I did you know like I said the the new CD came two days before the show, which I was like, all right, and I've been you know listening to the the CDs that I had and um, you know just trying to just you know create some sort of familiarity. So the new CD comes, I get home from work, and I put it in, and I got to tell you, it it's really, really very strong. I was very, very pleased with it. So I'm like, all right, cool. Wow. Corey still has it. This is great. And then I wanted to, you know, I was sort of running out of time at this point. And so I thought, what, I, what you know, what can I do to sort of increase my, my familiarity going into this show? And I thought, well, let's just go to Setlist FM because, given our experience with with Yes featuring ARW, I thought this will be great. I can, you know, make myself a playlist of yeah. those songs that she's playing with, you know, that I have at my disposal, and I can sort of cram for the for the exam. If you want to have some fun, and, and and I haven't looked at her other tours, but literally with. The set list every night on this tour is different from the night really? before. It is amazing. So, you know, they're just, there was, after after looking through about four different wow. dates prior to mine, I realized that there was no way that I was going to prepare for this show. And so I just kind of gave myself over to it. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I was on I was on Setlist FM. I'm assuming you were at the Irving, Texas show. I was indeed. And so I was looking at that and I didn't even look at any other set list because I just figured, you know, it's probably pretty similar. But yeah, I just, just flipped over to the one in Austin and it's quite different. It's totally different. It's amazing. Wow. So, so, so looking at that, you know, when we go into the set list and, and we'll get there in a minute, um, Minus the the two covers, which actually I knew anyway, there were there were three songs that I don't think I had heard before. All the others are on um, things that I have or I have access to. So, wow. Okay. Um, and I still haven't quite figured out where those other three came from, but. But before we get we get to Tori, I do want to spend a moment and discuss the venue of all things. 
Ah. Um, this was the first time I had ever been to the Toyota Music Factory at the Pavilion in uh, in Irving, Texas. And I don't know if you recall when Melissa and I got married, it was in a place called Los Colinas. Okay. And that is a, a sort of a subdivision of Irving, and that's where this is. Los Colinas wow. is, is a really, really nice area, and it's relatively close to my house. So when I figured out that that's where this was, I was very, very excited to go there because I didn't have to drive very far. Nice. So I go, and it's, it's in a completely new part of town. Like, it's, it's a totally new development. And to the fact where, you know, they were still building some of the storefronts right outside the, the Toyota Music Factory. And you could see what they're going for and the fact that when it's done, it's going to be really great. Because, you know, there were, you know, there were some restaurants. There may have been a bar or two. So it's one of those things where if you're going to a show and you want to meet up with someone beforehand, you can grab a bite to eat. If you're hungry right. after the show, you can grab a slice of pizza. Maybe there's a place to get a drink. You know, it, 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 it it's sort of one of these constructed pseudo-urban type areas, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but I see what they're going for, and I was like, cool, this is, this is going to be A-OK. -okay. And Los Salinas so, is, is a nice place to do that. Yeah, so I'm, I just happened to go on their Facebook page, Joe, and they okay. tout that there are three venues in one. That is a 8,000 seat boutique where they open up all the floodgates, I guess. They can get 8,000 people in there. They can also do a 4,000 indoor theater. And then if you want, you can have a 2,500 seat intimate setting all at the same time. It looks pretty, it, and it does look like there's plenty of food and pavilions and things to be had and, and to enjoy there. So yeah, so, well, it, and, and it, so that's, that's walking up, right? It, yeah. it, it gets weirder, though. It, it's, it's a very strange yeah. facility. And, uh, you know, I'll have to look at that, but I would guess that Tori was probably opting for the, the intimate venue, if I had to guess. Okay. So, so you, you, you go down the street past, you know, these, these restaurants, which some of which are done and open, some of which are not, and you find the door into the thing. And the very first thing you see are the big Toyota cars staring you in the face. Now, I understand corporate sponsorships, and I'm all for it. It's just I'm not used to having, you know, 4,000 pounds of steel staring me at the face in, 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 manner, in, in that manner. Yeah. So that was a little off-putting. Um, but I got past that, and, you know, I'm inside this sort of spacious atrium-type area. That feels almost like you're outside. Very cool. And, you know, there's there's a spot for the for the merchandise. And then you go down here. And on this side, there's like, you know, a whole bunch of, of food counters with, you know, what I'll call like stadium food, nachos and soft pretzels and whatnot. There's a yeah. there's a wine bar where you can buy full bottles of wine. There's a full bar where you get a cocktail. So there's a there's a lot going on. And you're going cool. The second thing I noticed is that the architecture is utilitarian to the extreme. It's hmm. it's cinder blocks and poured concrete, which I'm like, all right. Someone was trying to save a couple bucks. That's fine. 
But, you know, a lot of the venues that we've been to recently have been, you know, nice theaters, whether old or new. And I was like, right. Oh, all right. And so the more I looked around, you know, what decor they did put in there was was very, very strange. So I likened it. I don't know if you've ever seen any of these shows. I, I've seen shows in the past on, like, HGTV where there would be, like, some this room designed by this Uber designer that costs $15,000 to make, and this show is going to do it for two fifty. Okay. And they, they, they go around and they find, like, you know, pieces of junk furniture that look the same and they spray paint it or whatever, you know. So at first blush, it looks like something, but when you look closer, you're like, well, that's just a spray-painted piece of junk. Okay. That's what, that's what I felt with this place because it was just... <laughs> It was strange. So then I go into where the theater is, and you've been to you know these outdoor amphitheaters um, here in, in Texas. It's the um, it's the the Starplex, I believe. It's changed names like eight times since I've been right, in Texas, but yeah. it's the Starplex. I forget was it the Man Music Center in in Philly? Um, uh, that is one, but I, I would not I would not put that in the same. That's that's a pretty classic, classic place. I'm thinking more of like the BBT Amphitheater in Camden, uh, okay. which is yeah, like typical outdoor amphitheater, lawn seats, and and it's changed yeah. names five times. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I walked into the theater, and it's there's a ceiling, but I swear to God, it felt like I was outside. It was the strangest damn thing I'd ever experienced, and I, I don't know exactly how they did it. And there were there were large black curtains around sort of the back of the seating area, so I couldn't see, you know, what the rest of the place looked like. But I, I anticipate it's it's this you know that you were describing here these different configurations. So yeah, and, and looked, I, on this video, it looks like they basically built a giant open air amphitheater with a roof just like they do just like basically camden uh which is the bbt center which is what we have where you have the normal amphitheater and then you have lawn seats where people just right. you know are behind on a separate like with a barrier and it looks like they built that and then they closed it off so you could close the 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 lawn area it doesn't really look like a lawn it looks like it's just like a mall um, yeah, very interesting. Very, very interesting. So maybe that's why it felt like you were outside because technically you were. Yeah, it was. It was amazing. And the reason I bring that up, and you know, it, it ultimately didn't have a tremendous impact. But the reason I bring it up is the other times that I have seen Tori Amos, and in fact, the very last time that I saw her. She has played in what I would call more traditional theater settings. And the last time I saw her was at the, um, shoot, I can't even remember what the hell the name of it is. It's the Performing Arts Center in Dallas. And it is very much like the the center that we, the last show that we saw, yes. Um, oh, the Kimmel Center, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's very much like that, you know, it's. It's it's uh it's one of these beautiful sort of very elegant um, theaters and in fact the, for that show where I saw Tori 
um, two and a half or three years ago, I had a box seat very similar to the one we sat at for, for Yes at the Kimball Center. And given the way that Tori does her show, which is just Tori and a piano and or whatever it is, keyboard that she uses, and I, I need to look in and see what her rig is, um, I think that sort of a performance translates well in those traditional theater things. Right. It felt a little bit off in this big gaping cavern of a room. It, wow. It just it just didn't you know, and like I said it didn't it didn't ultimately stop me from enjoying the show, but it was it was just a little bit different. That is interesting. That is interesting. It, it is true. The venue can have a lot to do with the enjoyment of the show, similar to how we witnessed that with with uh, ARW. Yeah, yeah. So, so let's go in. And um, you know, I got there, and you know, I, I felt bad. There was an opening act that was pretty much what you would expect. It was some sort of an acoustic type thing there may have been three of them and and my deepest apologies to to the the band but i just that really wasn't what i was in for that night and so mm -hmm. uh, honestly I, I didn't really stop to to listen to a lot of what they did i listened to a little bit and it was it was okay but it just i was there for tori right so changeover occurs and uh you know it's time for tori and pretty much right on time she uh she comes on and she opens with um, with the song "Cruel," which is from uh, from the uh, song from the Choir Girl Hotel. Actually, one of my one of my favorite songs. Um, wow. Yeah, it was. Uh, it, it's really, really cool. But she was doing it with a um, with an accompanying track, and um, okay. there was lots going on. And, and oddly enough, it was strange because the sound. You wouldn't think it would be overwhelming in that sort of a show, but it really, really was. It was yeah. it was almost too much. Wow. And again, I don't know if that had anything to do with the acoustics of the facility, but it was, uh, you know, it was, it was, you know, it was good, but it wasn't necessarily as overwhelming as I was really hoped for. Um, then she moved into two songs from Boys for Pele. Um, Little Amsterdam and Muhammad, my friend, and then um, from that into Father's Son, Josephine, and then the song Russia, which I Russia is one of the songs that I was not necessarily aware of, um, okay. but it was you know it was very much a a typical Tory performance, um, you know that she's she's got a lot of dynamics going on. Um, and, you know, just like like we had already talked about, 
you know, with her performing them the way she does, um, you know, it, it gives a completely different experience from from the album, with with the exception of you know some some tracks like "Cruel," where she she performs with a with the backing track or a sequence track. You know, normally when it's just her on whatever keyboard instrument she's playing, you know, she has the ability to sort of change that up a little bit and you know add extra emphasis or or add a little bit more subtlety, which is not what she often does. Um, but it was, you know, I was I was in my element, just sitting there, you know, taking all this in and, and you know, being perhaps a little overwhelmed, if you will. But I, I'd given myself over to the experience in terms of uh, of trying to know everything. And then I guess on this particular tour, this part of the tour, she has a um, she has a section she calls Fake Muse Network, and. Uh, so she, I don't know if you saw the picture I put up on uh, on Twitter. She has a logo that looks suspiciously suspiciously like Fox News. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And and she does cover songs in this in this segment. So in this particular case, she did um, Fleetwood Mac's "Gold Dust Woman." some folks talking um, before the show and it seems like you know as she changes the set list from night to night at least with with this section of covers she has tried to um, um, you know in well, I guess in, in the set list in general she's tried to incorporate songs that sort of relate in some way shape or form to the the place where she's performing so I'm not quite sure how these fit in, but okay. you know, yeah, um, you well, know, and and, oh. and and Daniel no. was funny because Daniel was like one of the very, very first Elton John songs I was ever introduced to, and that as a very, very young kid. Um, my brother had. Um, Oh, whatever, whatever Elton John album that is on, um, Don't Shoot Me, I'm Only the Piano Player, or something to that effect. Right, right. And I guess, you know, it was a, it was a single, so I, I knew it. But it's one of those things where it may have been the first one that I ever got into, but it's not necessarily the, the one that resonates with me to any great degree. So I was, uh, yeah, I was... I was like, okay, well, that's, you know, and, and Tori doing an Elton John song, given everything else that Tori does, yeah. seemed almost a little obvious, you know? Yeah, right, exactly. And, and not, to, not to rag on her, but at the same time, I thought Gold Dust Woman was fascinating. Um, I had this sort of strange aversion interest 
whatever it is, it's this push-pull type thing with Fleetwood Mac anyway. You and I have had a couple of discussions regarding um, Lindsey Buckingham. So I never yeah. quite know what to do with them. So I thought that was that was kind of very, very cool. Yeah, that is pretty cool. And I and you know, I since we've been talking, I was going through different set lists. And I did note that like at places like when she was in New Orleans, there were there were song like she did a lot of covers in that set. They seemed to be very appropriate, which is very cool. So it seems like as she goes to town to town, she's just ah, oh, play this song tonight and she rolls through yeah. it. And some of them seem appropriate to the location. I don't see how Gold Dust Woman or or Daniel um, yeah. relate to you know, Irving, Texas, but maybe the, maybe I'm not seeing something there. I don't know. Well, so she did um, she did sort of bring it home at the end of all of that. So coming out of that, and she went into um, a song Apollo's Frock, which I have never heard. Um, Girl from Little Earthquakes. Which is, you know, little earthquakes. I don't know how familiar you are with that. That there's a lot of heaviness on in terms of subject matter on that uh, yeah. that album. And and then um, another song, Honey, which I again have no idea where it came from. But then she finished up the normal set with Tear in Your Hand, also from Little Earthquakes. Uh-huh. And there is a refrain in there where she sings, "I have to get to Texas," um, mantra times. So. That oh. was that was sort of the uh, the nod that we got. Cool. Yeah, that, she went off. I, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm most familiar with her first two records, um, and and by that I mean I'm not familiar with anything else um, after that. <laughs> um, but you know, "Tear in Your Hand" is definitely, you know, one of my one of the songs that. Uh, even without you know popping in the album in, I could um, I could remember and sing along to, and I was searching also through the many set lists. I went through about two months worth of shows, and only could find one instance where she played the song China, which may be my favorite Tori Amos song. Um, mm. so. Yeah, that's a really good one. I mean, virtually anything off of really for me. And, you know, when I was getting into this, like I said, Little Earthquakes got me um, under the pink. Has I, I saw it as sort of a, a standard follow-on record initially, but over the years, I, I, I really think it's, it's, it stands out on its own. Yeah. And then um, Boys for Pele and Songs from the Choir Girl Hotel. These, these first four were albums that I bought you know, literally as soon as I could or as they came out. Um, and, I, you know, for me, this was like like you said, you know, you knew the first two. I knew very well the first four. Um, I picked up the, the four others sort of throughout um, throughout the years. But, you know, these, these first four just for me sort of defined Tori and... Uh, yeah, yeah I, I love those songs. Yeah, I, the only thing I can add to that is that on Under the Pink in the song Cornflake Girl, the snare sound on that track is magical, and it still holds water today, all these many years really? later. Still quite an impressive sound happening there. 
Well, you know, I, I don't think there are many other podcasts that spend as much time talking about snare sounds as uh, Progressive Palaver does. You're probably right. You're probably right. And if any one of our ever listeners ever scrolls over to Spotify to listen to any of, of Paul Zotter's music, they're going to be like, what the hell is this guy talking about snare sounds so much for? All of his sound like shit. So. Yeah, so, you know... Uh, it, it seems as though, <clears throat> so it looks like you got a pretty good chunk of songs that you know, like Little Earthquakes, Boys for Pele, yeah, the Choir Girl, Choir Girl Hotel. I don't. It doesn't look like she covered anything from Under the Pink in the in the show. No, then. no, exactly. And and that was you know somewhat depressing because I think there's a like I said. I, I think there are a lot of really, really solid songs on there. Yeah. So, you know, she finished up with Tear in Your Hand, and... set list and everything else you know that she comes out she does one encore and then that's it and and honestly i was amazed how quickly the show went by i'm like well, we're done already um it, it was it was super super enjoyable and just seemed to, to flash by in an instant yeah so then she comes she comes back out and she does precious things from little earthquakes which you know it's just it, it's exceptional and, you know, she was able to sort of do it with the, you know, the appropriate amount of, of gravitas. And, you know, the stage show was was getting more and more interesting at this point. And then she finished up with um, with Raspberry Swirl, which is, it's, it's a fun song. It's a very energetic song. Um, great way to finish up a set, honestly. And... send you the the video I actually have a video of virtually all of that particular performance not that you can see Tori at all um, 
with the way that the lighting in the place was and everything else, I could never really get a good shot of, of Tori herself. But and and when you see it, um, there's nothing earth shattering, um, award winning, you know, mind blowing about the, the sort of the light show that's going on. But it does look really cool. And it's, it's just sort of fun. It, it's fun to watch. And that's that's why I, I really took that video. Um, and, you know, I framed it out to basically catch the entire stage because it, it it wasn't any one thing. It was just sort of the whole amalgam of, of what you were looking at. And I just I thought it was cool. So um, I, I, I snatched a uh, snatched a video of it. And I'll send it to you if, if you think it's appropriate. We'll throw it up oh. on the old YouTube channel. Awesome. And uh, we'll go from there. That's terrific. Um, how long was the show? Because it, it's only 14 songs. It's uh, It was a, a solid 90 minutes. Wow, that is a long stretch for 14 songs, 90 minutes. Yeah. There are a lot of bantering um, in between. No, there really wasn't. I, I mean, she would talk a little bit, but it wasn't. You know, there, there. You know, there's not a whole lot of room for for, for wankage um, with with Tori. Um, she's yeah, she's pretty straightforward with everything. Like, you know, I, I figured, you know, having not known what I was getting into, but knowing about this this fake muse network portion of the show, because um, it, you know, obviously in in the shows leading up to it. I was seeing she's got a, the people who who support her on Twitter um, and are really into her on Twitter have a really really good sort of network around them. So what would happen is every night at the show you'd have two or three people who were who were tweeting set lists. You'd have two or three periscopes set up throughout the night. Um, you know, and, and in fact, in the lead up to a show, you know, on any particular day, you know, the people who would run these, uh, these, these Twitter feeds would, you know, they'd reach out to people, you know, who were connected to them saying, Hey, anyone who's going to be in Irving tonight and wants to do a periscope or, or help us out on set list, you know, let us know and we'll hook you up. So it, it's, it's a very, you know, for, and I, you know, I haven't seen that for the other groups that we follow on Twitter. Yeah. So it's it's a it's a very sort of active community. So I was aware of this this fake news network and I really thought it was going to be given perhaps a little bit more you know explicit attention and it really wasn't. She huh. finished up, you know, this song Russia and you know sort of the lights go down everyone cheers and then the fake Muse logo goes up on the background, and she goes right into Gold Dust Woman, like with huh. little or no preamble at all. And you're like, oh! And then she plays the two songs, and boom, the fake Muse network um, logo comes down, and you know the, the the next set of of images go up on the backdrop. Wow! And, and that was just it, you know. So it was it was really straightforward in terms of that. How very cool. I, I wonder if this is a good time, Joe, uh, to share with the, the Progressive Palaver audience, uh, since we were familiar slightly with the demographic that we're, um, that we're mostly attracting, where it might be a good time for you to maybe explain to some of the listeners 
what exactly periscoping means if they don't know what that is. <laughs> so periscoping is, and, and honestly, I don't know. I've never done it myself. Um, I've seen it on the Twitter feed. And I, I'm, I'm assuming it seems like there's a, there's a website. And I guess people log in. And literally, you you hold up your phone and you broadcast the show as it's happening. Ah, okay. Makes sense. It's a periscope. Like, you're it looking a- through the periscope through your phone. Okay. Exactly. Never, yep. never ever heard of that until tonight, just now. My understanding, the, the first place I had ever heard about it was from my brother Len, I I have the impression that periscoping happens a lot with Bruce Springsteen concerts. Okay. Which Len is Len is, is is really really into Bruce Springsteen, and so um, that was the first I'd have heard about it a couple of years ago. And and like I said, I follow a, you know I slash we follow a, a bunch of bands and people who like bands on on Twitter. I've seen. Like I said, virtually every night there's there's at least one, if not three, Tory feeds that show up huh. on Twitter for Periscope. I think the only other one I've seen in the few months that I've been on Twitter is Guns N' Roses. There were a couple of people who Periscoped a couple of GNR shows. Wow. Um, but I've never seen, I, you know, and I, like I said, I've never gone on. I, I, I have the impression that there's a, a separate Periscope site. I'm not exactly sure how they tie into the Twitter or anything like that. Um, but I, I, I have not come across any for Yes, for instance. Um, okay. Steve Hackett, well, any of There you go. There you go. You're, we're learning more than just about progressive rock music and, you know, in this case, just music that we like. Uh, right here on Progressive Palaver, we're learning all these new high-tech ways of doing things. Pretty cool, man. That's right. So one other quick thing as it pertains to that, when you talk about the the perceived demographic of Progressive Palaver, let me tell you, Tori Amos has a whole different demographic than, say, ARW, for instance. <laughs> Wow, who would have thought? <laughs> it was, I, you know, I, I have never felt older and more lame in my life than than at this show. But really, because uh, you know, she's no spring chicken. She's been around since the early '90s. You'd think that that you would be uh, among your contemporaries at that show. You would, you would think. Um, and and don't get me wrong. There, I mean, there was a broad demographic in terms of age. Which was, you know, sort of exciting to see. So whatever it is that Tori does, you know, it, it I guess it resonates with, with younger folks, which is very cool. Um, but it's it was, you know, it was it was definitely a, a different crowd than we see at at Yes shows or that I saw at at Toad, um, for instance, and. So even those people who were, you know, perhaps our age, um, were, you know, a lot hipper than, than certainly I am. Hard but, to imagine you know, that, Joe. But 
but I'll take your word for it. But it, it was it was it was kind of exciting to be in a completely different group of people. Um, so so that was that was fun. I enjoyed it. Um, you know, I'm very very glad that I I took the chance, um, got myself a ticket, had uh, you know, and it was one of those things. There was a bunch of stuff going on at work. Um, I was very very stressed out. Um, didn't have a whole lot of time to maybe you know take a few hours out of my life and go to a concert. But at the same time, it was exactly what I needed because I was much more relaxed and happier when I came out of that show. And mm. uh, so, yeah, and that's that's really what it's all supposed to be. And I did, I bought a poster, which I need to buy a frame for and add that's to nice. the, progressive, the Progressive Palaver um, special concert series wall that I have going on here in the, uh, in the Casa. That is awesome. Can't wait to see that. Well, when you'll you get be here what? You're in, in good What's that? I'm sorry. Said so you'll be here in February, right? That's right. That's right. I uh, as we get ready to go see Marillion. Yeah, and possibly January for one night. Um, or three. Probably not. <laughs> I can't do all three nights, so I can only do one. Um. Yeah, well, when you get that in a good, uh, good, a good photo of that, we'll have to put that on the progressive palaver. We can make that the progressive palaver uh, Facebook, uh, you know, page uh, picture, whatever you call that, paper wallpaper thing. So, oh, cool! Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's pretty cool, right. dude. So, uh, I guess one quick question that I have for you uh, among all of this. Um, is there, was there anything that you were like, man, I wish he would have just played what? As a matter of fact, Paul, Wow. Um... Just trying to take a quick look here. Um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a cop out here, and I'm going to I'm going to give you two answers to that question. Two things that I would have liked to have seen or heard that would have really just floated my canoe and actually ironically enough they're they're both off of little earthquakes mm. and um I, I would have liked to have heard either um crucify or little earthquakes i think little earthquakes would have been sort of the be-all end-all for me okay um I just, you know, there's something about that song that just really sort of resonates with me, and I think it would have been very, very cool. But, you know, that being said, and and sort of the nature of, of a Tory show, as we discussed, I, I, there was nothing about the show. I, there was absolutely no feeling of of dissatisfaction as I left. Right. Absolutely. Right. Um, you know, and and. 
you know, it's it's it, it's almost like you know. I think looking at the the way Tori does her set list, you know, this is the sort of thing that I think maybe we were hoping for with the ARW when we started that. Right, um, right. And, and, and it's not exactly what we got. Um, so it, you know, it, at some point in in the future, you know, assuming we keep doing this, you know, hopefully we'll have an experience where we can find someone like this who who maybe does completely different shows from one night to the next and, and, and sort of have the discussion that maybe we were hoping to have. And, yeah, and again, yeah. not, not to take anything away from ARW. I think those three shows and, and that whole exercise went, you know, just as well as we ever could have hoped. Um, but it was maybe different than we were expecting initially. And, and the yeah. way Tori seems to do it is, is more in lines with, with perhaps what our initial expectations would have been. Well, I, I would say that the, the way that she's doing it is, is way beyond any expectation I would have just through the smattering of set lists that I saw. I mean, I think most artists, even when they change up the set list, you're talking, you know, if they do a 15 song set, maybe they change three songs, right? If you're, if you're lucky, maybe they change five. I'm looking at some of those set lists, like they are <laughs> totally different. So I mean, there were there were several repeats, and there was like you know you could see different, you know, same songs that she starts with, but you know they're pretty unique shows, no doubt. Every time you go, and every single time, every single cover that she did was different, and sometimes she threw a lot more in there. So, so I would say you know if there's one takeaway for me uh, from from uh, what we're talking about here and what what we've seen is that she's not phoning it in on these. Um, on this tour. if she always does this and, and I mean you know not to take anything away from it because you know you perhaps your initial reaction is oh well it's just her and a piano she can do anything she wants but I mean she's still there's still that's still a lot of of information in her head that she's pulling yeah. out and changing out every day that's that's tremendous yeah yeah although I guess you could take a thing you, you could think of it in this way is that um, you know, say your average, like, you know, acoustic solo artist is playing at a bar. Um, <laughs> they're going to play, you know, like 15, 15 songs basically is like one hour's worth of music. So if you're playing a three and a half hour gig, you're most likely going to be playing around 45 songs in that night. So, okay. you know, 
average, you know, the average, you know, lounge performer, if you will, is probably schlepping somewhere between 35 and 45 songs that they've got, you know, they may have, they may or may not use an iPad or something to remind them of lyrics or whatever, but whatever. They, uh, so really, when you think about that, like, it's probably not out of the question to think that, you know, an artist of her stature could could have about 30, 35 songs lingering around in her head ready to go and just, uh, you know, pulling them out on demand as she go. But like, I, you know, there's something cool about, and I don't, I don't know that I've I, I've, I think I've done this very couple times where maybe I have a gig on a Friday night and it's a solo gig and I'm off during the day and I, whatever reason I get stuck on a song and I pull it out and I start playing it and I just kind of noodle around and I'm like, Oh, I'm going to play this tonight. And I, and I play it and I play it and that's the one that I play it. And I, I probably never play it again after that. And, you know, it was just, so there, there's something that you wonder, you know, me not really having kept in touch with her musically from, you know, the, her second release, you know, there's, there's, in my mind, I'm thinking, man, maybe she's just always noodling around on the piano or whatever. I'm thinking, ah, you know what? Daniel, I love that song. I'm going to play it tonight, you know? Yeah, who knows? <laughs> I don't know how she does it, but it, uh, you know, like I said, it, and as I, I listened to the, 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 the four other albums that I have throughout her later career, and, and they're not consecutive, they're kind of scattered around just sort of as I, I found things, you know, again, what I found was if, you know, if, if you like what Tori does and you like Tori's albums, you know, I haven't come across one yet that, that doesn't fit into that, even though I may have remembered them as, you know, like you said, you know, oh, well, Tori started to just noodle around or whatever. It, yeah. It, it's, it's a lot more solid than that. Um, yeah. You know, and, and given the fact that she apparently likes to perform in, in this sort of solo manner, the way that she writes songs and records them in sort of a band setting, I, I just I I find it impressive because you know what what she adds in terms of beyond just the piano on the, the studio recordings really does enhance you know the song. It's not superfluous. It's not it's not cheesy. It's not overly simple. Simplistic. It's it's like just the right amount of whatever it is that she needs, and the fact that she can do that so well and still be so engaging in a solo live performance, you know, I right. just I'm I'm on board with Tori. Yeah, that's awesome, awesome. All right, so I you know that's all I've got in terms of of uh, Tori. We've we've actually talked a lot more than I thought. I've, I expected this episode to be about twenty minutes and. Uh, I think by the time we, we, you know, edit it down, it's probably going to be about 45, 50, which is pretty impressive. Wow. Well, that's, well, <laughs> it's, it's long. It's, I don't know if it's impressive, but we'll let the listeners decide. One thing we've learned about ourselves in this process, Joe, is we certainly can kibitz with the best of them. We certainly can. Well, that's why we started a podcast. I mean, <laughs> go to your strengths is, uh, is what I'm thinking here. There you go. There you go. So, so that being said, um, this will bring a, an, an end to this um, special concert series episode of Progressive Palaver. We hope you have enjoyed listening to our ruminations on Tori Amos, and um, not someone I expect to, not an artist I expect to hit in the normal course 
of the palaver, given the the sheer amount of other material in front of us, but one never knows. Um, as always, Progressive Palaver is available on both iTunes and Google Play. We are hosted on SoundCloud, and as I've come to realize, there are a whole host of third-party podcast apps where presumably you can tie into our RSS feed, which is very, very cool. You are always welcome to tweet us at progpala. You can email us. Um, we are progpala, P-R-O-G-P-A-L-A, at gmail.com. And we are available on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube as Progressive Palaver. And uh, we really do, you know, look forward and, and welcome and enjoy, you know, your thoughts, feedback, um, comments, questions, whatever you may have. Um, you know, we just, we enjoy discussing these artists and, you know, we like to hear what, uh, what other people have to say. 